Our reading for today comes from Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of the many words they use. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right. Well, just quickly want to echo uh, one thing that Ashley said, and that is that we are remodeling our... Here you go. Can you hold that for me? Thank you. Uh, We will be remodeling those kids' rooms uh, over the spring break week. So if any of you are free over that week, we would love uh, a little bit of help. We'll be pulling up carpet and painting and doing all that, and we'll hopefully be putting putting the finishing touches on that uh, at our workday the 17th. So if there are any able-bodied men and women who thoroughly enjoy making things neat and tidy again, uh, I could use you. So uh, just come talk to me after church or uh, shoot me an email or something like that. So that'll be great. All right. Well, this morning we are talking about, surprise, surprise, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. And this is the part of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount where he talks specifically about prayer, about what prayer is or how we, or as his disciples, should do it. Now, prayer is a kind of funny thing, if you think about it. Uh, I think that's because most of us assume that prayer is something that only religious people do. Uh, Most people are praying to one God or another, right, if they're religious. If they're a Christian, they're praying to the triune God. If they're uh, they're Jewish, they're praying to Yahweh. If they're uh, Muslim, they're praying to Allah. It just... This is the thing that we assume that only religious people do, but I actually don't really think that that's true, if we get right down to it. I, I think that all people, regardless of whether or not they are religious or not, pray. I, I think that there's this universal reality that lies at the center of every human heart, and that is that we all pray, that we, in some way, shape, or form, we pray. That is, if you define prayer as the human need to communicate with something that is greater than ourselves, something that's bigger, transcendent even, there is this old phrase, you've probably heard it, most people have, that there are no atheists in foxholes, right? Meaning that when life gets difficult, that when life gets actually hard, that we have this internal impulse to connect to something that is uh, important, something that is beyond ourselves, something that can help us. In those instances, when we get in those tough situations, we tend to uh, make bargains with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do this, right? Or we simply ask for help. There's a cry of help that rises out from the inside of us. And while I do believe that, that is true, that when our lives are faced with tragedy, when we experience some type of difficulty, that that does... Um, spur in us this desire to pray, 
I also think there's an impulse to pray or to connect with something greater than ourselves that exists within each of us when we experience good things, actually, when we experience good stuff, awesome stuff. We've all probably had that experience in our lives. Maybe it was at the birth of a child. Maybe it was something awe-inspiring that happened to us. Maybe we saw a beautiful sunset or a mountain that really took our breath away. It's that sensation that you get when you're looking up into the night sky and you feel very small and at the same time very comfortable with your smallness. Like the whole world rests on shoulders that aren't yours. Maybe you've had something like that happen and you couldn't really make sense of it, right? But there was this feeling, there was this internal sense of almost prayer, gratitude even, that comes out of the core of your being, that that goes out to someone or something, right? It's, you just, it just happens. You just want to say thank you, not to any person in particular, not, uh, but to something beyond yourself, something you cannot see in the created order even. We all have this familiar impulse. And you know, biblically, this is the reason why Christians pray, and other, other people too, I suppose, pray before meals. It's not because if you don't pray before, before you eat the meatloaf that it's going to turn rancid and kill you. That's not, that's not I don't know what type of meatloaf you're eating, but uh, if, if you're worried about that, you should probably eat something else. Uh, we pray before meals because it, it is a way of acknowledging that everything in our lives, not just the food that's in front of us, but the, actually the food that's in front of us, is a gift from the hand of God, right? So technically, when we, when, we, when we pray in the Bible, when we pray biblical prayers around the meal, we're not supposed to say, God bless this food. We're actually supposed to say, God, we bless you, and thank you for the giving of this meal. Just a little, just a little bit of info there from, from somebody smarter than me. Uh, this is our impulse, isn't it? It's this, this, just this desire that we have to pray. And th that prayer that comes from within us is a kind of reminder, I think. It's a kind of reminder that we are praying people, that we are people with this impulse. But very often, the problem is that when we think about prayer, we don't think of it like that. When we think about prayer, particularly within a religious context, the things that we primarily think, think about is getting stuff right? That's what we primarily think about when we think about prayer. God, I really wish that you would help me get that promotion at work, right? That's the primary mode of prayer that we tend to think about. Or, God, what I really need is to find a house with four bedrooms and two baths and a big backyard that's walking distance from the church and the, the, with motivated sellers who will take like $30,000 under asking. Is that just me? Yeah, okay, that's, maybe it's just me. Uh, but you get what I'm saying, right? This, this is the mode of prayer that we think of most. We often pray because we want God to do stuff for us, and we think that prayer is the key to getting Him to do that, Right? But what I want you to consider today is that prayer may not be about accessing the big slot machine in the sky where every once in a while we get down on our knees and pull the prayer lever and hope everything comes up cherries and we get what we asked for, right? 
I'm sorry if I, if I any slot machine addicts, I brought back any. I'm sorry, trigger warning, I should have said before that. What if prayer, from a Christian perspective, is not about getting God to do stuff? What if it's not about getting God to do stuff? What if primarily the way, the way the Bible talks about prayer is different than the God help me to get a nice return on my taxes prayer, right? Well, today I think we're going to see in Matthew 6 that Jesus is very concerned that his disciples learn to pray, that they see that prayer is something far more interesting and beautiful than that simply God help me get stuff type of prayer. And the truth of the matter is you cannot read the Gospels and not see that prayer is a vitally, vitally important to Jesus. Christians believe that Jesus was the sinless Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, very God of very God, and yet he routinely took long stretches of time away to pray. Very often the Bible says that Jesus uh, retreated to lonely places to, uh, to be with the Father in prayer, sometimes all night long, sometimes all night long. Jesus' life and ministry seemed to flow out of this place of prayer. And when, during Jesus' great sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, he takes time to stop and introduce his followers to the idea of how to pray. Right in the middle of his great sermon, he does this. Now, teaching disciples how to pray was something that was not uncommon in Jesus' day, It was actually the responsibility of a rabbi to do this. A teacher needed to instruct his pupils on how to pray. It was a big part of what it meant to be a teacher. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 11, the other passage where we have the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' disciples actually come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray in the same way that John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray, right? This is what they ask. They asked this because this was a, this is a routine thing that the teachers did. They, it was common for a teacher to have a prayer that he would teach his disciples, and this prayer would kind of sum up the teacher's main points. It would sum up his teachings, and this is what Jesus does with his disciples here in Matthew 6. And so for the rest of today, what I want to do is just draw out three kind of observations from the text uh, this is a very dense prayer, right? I've, I've sat through eight-week sermons series on just the Lord's Prayer, and so we're not going to get it all there, but I really want to pull out just basic, three basic observations from this text that I think will help us to orient ourselves around the Lord's Prayer well, to understand exactly what it is and maybe how we are to interact with it. Does this make sense? Is everybody tracking? It's okay if you're not. So, the first observation that I want to draw out from the, from the Lord's Prayer today is that the Lord's Prayer is a kingdom prayer. It's a kingdom prayer. Jesus teaches his disciples a kingdom prayer. The very beginning of the Lord says, the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus does not teach them a super secret magic prayer that will help them get whatever they want, right? 
when Jesus is going to teach his disciples a prayer, he teaches them a kingdom prayer. Now remember that the thing that Jesus has been talking about up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God. This is, this is his topic. This is, this is his big idea in the, in the sermon. He's been teaching about what it should look like when God's rule or his authority takes up residence in the earth and in our lives. He's teaching about what it looks like when up there comes down here. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them a prayer that embodies all of the things that he has been teaching them up until this point in the sermon. He's inviting them to participate in the kingdom of God, to actually participate in what Jesus is doing through prayer. He's actually teaching them a prayer that will help them be his disciples to learn how better to be his followers. And this leads naturally to, I think, the second observation that I have for today, which is that the Lord's Prayer is all about formation. It's all about formation. Now, here's the question, though. What do I mean by formation? When I say the Lord's Prayer is all about formation, what in the world does that mean? Jesus wants to give his disciples tools to, pr- or you might even say practices, that will help them become the type of people who love what God loves. You know, we don't spring fully formed into the world loving what God loves. And if you've been with us for any part of this series, you may remember that Jesus has been giving a whole bunch of three-part teachings in the Sermon on the Mount over a bunch of different topics, murder, adultery, oath-keeping, how to treat your enemies. And they all have this same three-part structure. His, uh, he first gives an example, and I think we have this up on the screen. He first, in these, the three-part structure of these teachings, he first gives an example of traditional wisdom, and then he, ex- and then he exposes a vicious cycle, right, that, under, that is kind of under the surface that we all participate in. Uh, this vicious cycle kind of exists in every human heart. And finally, he gives a transforming practice, a transforming practice, an activity something his disciples are supposed to do in order to help them transform their hearts. This is what he's been doing in the Sermon on the Mount. And this section where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray comes right at the end of that section of Scripture, all those three-part teachings of traditional wisdom, vicious cycle, and uh, I'm going to look at it because I forgot, transforming action. There you go. Uh, comes, almost finishes right here at the end of the Lord's Prayer. This, the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' most important, His most central tool that a, that a follower of Jesus is supposed to use to transform their hearts. This is the big transforming action, the Lord's Prayer. It's the thing that's supposed to change us from the inside out. It's the thing that we are supposed to practice or use as a means of becoming kingdom people. Does this make sense? Here's how the pastor, Eugene Peterson, puts it in his book, Answering God. Prayers are tools, but with this clarification or classification, prayers are not tools for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. In our largely externalized culture, we are urgently presented with tools that enable us to do things and to get things, but prayers are tools that God uses to work His will in our bodies and souls. Prayers are tools that we use to collaborate in His work 
with us. The pr- and the, this, notice this. The primary purpose of prayer is not to change God. It's not to get God to do anything or something. It's to change you. That's the primary purpose of prayer. And Jesus gives us here in this passage a kingdom prayer because he wants his disciples to be kingdom people, right? This is what he's teaching about. I think that uh, you've all heard the expression, you are what you eat, right? That, that, is, <laughs> that is, if you eat loaded nachos every night, you will eventually become a load, right? I have first-hand experience with this. But if you eat broccoli and spinach every night, you will eventually become healthier. You'll become boring, but you will become healthier. (laughs) When I was a kid, uh, my mom told me that carrots were good for my eyesight. And so what I did was take that to to its logical extreme, which is that if I eat enough carrots, I will then have x-ray vision. And so I just started housing whole carrots every night, hoping that I would be able to see through walls. And it worked. (laughs) We all know that you are what you eat. We all know this, right, instinctively. But in the kingdom, you become what you pray. In the kingdom of God, you become what you pray. Prayer is the most powerful tool in the world to change and transform our hearts. It just is. I've said this before. Uh, You've probably heard me say it a couple times, actually. But this is why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. It's not for our enemies. It's for us, right? Uh, It is not so that God will change them. It's so that God will change us. And Jesus wants to create kingdom people, kingdom citizens, so he gives us a kingdom prayer. Does this make sense? So, what does Jesus want us to do with this prayer? Here's the question, right? And here's the question that a lot of different Christians have been asking. How then, if this is a kingdom prayer and he gives it for formation purposes so that we would become kingdom people, what are we supposed to do with it, right? How are we supposed to orient ourselves around this prayer? How are we supposed to use it? And surprise, surprise, he wants us to pray it, right? He wants us to pray the Lord's Prayer. He's given it to us so that we would actually pray it. This is something that uh, Christians in other more formal, more liturgical traditions uh, do a lot. If you go to uh, a Lutheran or even a Methodist or a Catholic or, or an Anglican church, you'll, you'll find that they pray these prayers in a more rote, liturgical type of way. And I think that's a good thing. I really do. We come from a tradition, or at least I grew up in a tradition, and this church is a part of a tradition where, uh, that isn't as rote or isn't as liturgical, and so we don't often pray prayers in the exact same way. And the reason that we, our tradition hasn't put as much emphasis on uh, praying rote prayers in that way is because we believe that it's not the words themselves, but the ideas that lay behind the words that are of the most significance, right? This is what our tradition, the church tradition that our church is in, believes, and that's true. It is not the, the ink on the page that carries power, right? That would just be kind of voodoo, right? That would be getting God to do something via words. It would just be magical, a magical incantation. It is the meaning. It is the significance behind the words. But I would like to propose to you that unless you pray the words, you're not going to understand the meaning behind them, all right? 
Does this make sense? Unless we, unless we in, in, uh, open ourselves up to God in prayer, using the words He gave us to pray, we're never actually going to come to fuller understandings of what He actually wants for us via that prayer. It's very important that we actually involve ourselves with this prayer, that we actually make it a part of our lives, that we actually often pray it. The truth of the matter is, is that unless we are familiar with the ideas and the truth that lies in this prayer, we're not going to be formed in the way that Jesus wants us to be formed. Jesus wants us to be kingdom people, and so he wants us to work this prayer into our lives. You know, uh, I knew this to be true, and the Lord's Prayer wasn't something that I, that I prayed a lot growing up. I knew it, right? I could recite it if I went to Catholic church with my grandparents, but it wasn't something I worked into my life. And so, uh, one thing that we've done is we've worked it into our bedtime prayer. I don't know about Ashley and Nora because they're their own thing at night, but for Elliot and me, uh, we've worked it into our prayer. We pray the Lord's Prayer along with some other other little prayers at night. And the reason we do this and the reason uh, I think it's important is because I want my son to be a kingdom person, right? And I want to be a kingdom person. And so we pray this kingdom prayer together. And, and does, he, uh, does he mean it every night? No. Does he even know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sometimes, I hope. But the, the nature of getting this thing down deep inside of us, the nature of understanding these words and getting them uh, down deep in our hearts is a very, very important thing. And I can't help but believe that the, that, the, that the process of doing this, that the process of praying in this way with my son will have lasting and eternal effects in his soul. I can't help but believe that. And so we pray this prayer it is true that this prayer is not a magical incantation. The word, simply praying the words aren't going to change your heart. You actually have to engage with God. You actually have to open yourself up to Him. You actually have to mean it, right? But praying the prayer is a start, isn't it? It's a start. And so, if you come away with anything today, I hope it is this, that if you want to become more like Jesus, to learn to pray... And don't just, you don't just want to be one of those people that just prays off the top of their head every morning when they're, when they're kind of tired and can't really think about what's happening. Pray biblical prayers. Pray prayers in the Bible. Learn the vocabulary of the Scriptures. And so that the next time when, you're, when you are just trying to pray off the top of your head, what comes out are good biblical words. Does this make sense? I think we've all been in that place where we find ourselves needing to pray with a desire to pray uh, or even a, a compulsion to pray, and all that can come out is like, God, thanks for my dog, Joe, right? And we just kind of go through the list, right? Thinking that that is what we're supposed to do. And that's fine and good. I, I'm, I'm glad that we do that, but how much better to lean on this wealth of Scripture that was inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us in order to facilitate our praying well. Does this make sense? And as we take it into ourselves and as we make it a part of ourselves, it can become something that we don't, 
that we can, like I said, learn the vocabulary of prayer over time, and we, be, we can become prayers of the Scriptures. So often the things we pray for, I think, are not necessarily the things that God would have us to pray for. But as we submit our will and our lives to Jesus, we can bring them slowly into line with the kingdom of God so that our prayers are kingdom prayers. Does this make sense? This is why we pray, this is why we pray the Lord's Prayer. This is why it's so helpful to go through uh, and read the Psalms every day and pray the Psalms. This is why it's helpful to go through all of the New Testament and find some of the Apostle Paul's great prayers and pray those because they teach us the vocabulary of prayer. And in so doing, they form us into, into a certain type of people. They form us into kingdom people. This is what prayers are, and this is what they do. You know, very often I think we, uh, we look to God as the source of our lives, and that's very important, right? But when we look to Him as the source of our life in prayer, what we, what we think is that I just need to put in enough time in prayer, and then God will bring about this outcome, right? This is, I, think, I think there's a, as if God has like kind of a, a, a sand thing, and every time you pray, like another piece of sand goes into the thing until you have enough, and then He'll do what you want, what you want Him to do, Right? This is not what prayer is. Prayer is the process of us bringing our hearts into alignment with God's kingdom and then, at, and then uh, and our will and desire into alignment with God's kingdom. And then when our will and desire line up with the thing that God wants, it's very easy for us to see, the, for, for us to see answers to prayer. Does this make sense? It becomes very easy at that point. So, that is, I think, what the Lord's Prayer is. It's a kingdom prayer that's primary purpose is to form us as kingdom people. So that's number two. Our third observation for, from the Lord's Prayer today is that the Lord's Prayer is an invitation into Jesus' own prayer life. In verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, be your name. Scholars refer to this prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples as the Abba prayer. You'll actually see it titled that way. Abba was obviously a term of affection for Father. Every culture has their own term of affection. It usually has repeated syllables like Papa or Abba or something like that, Mama, Dada, you know, a lot of A's at the end. Uh, this, and Abba was a term of affection for a father, you have, uh, you have formal names for dad, right, or, or your parents. You have father, you have dad, and you have daddy, and they all kind of move down the line as becoming more affectionate, just like you have mother and mommy, right? Abba is daddy. It really is. And what is interesting about this is that the term, more often than not, this is the term that Jesus uses to define his relationship to God the Father, now, Abba was not a totally original term to use of God in the Hebrew mind, but, it, it was, uh, but the way that Jesus is use it, uses it is incredibly unique in the, in, the, in the history of the Hebrew Scriptures even. Uh, Ab, and then this word, this term Abba, comes to define Jesus' relationship to God. This is how Jesus always refers to God as Abba. Jesus has, and it, and it denotes that Jesus is close, personal, trust-filled relationship with God. 
that Jesus had this incredibly intimate and close relationship with God that defined everything about him. He, it came from this um, secure place of attachment that allowed him to see and understand God in a different way than maybe people around him did. Jesus orients himself around God, the Father, in this close, intimate, and personal way. And in this prayer, he is inviting his disciples to share that same relationship with God. Jesus is not keeping this, this uh, close relationship, this type of relationship that calls God Abba, to himself. In this prayer, he is introducing God to his disciples with that same level of affection, with that same level of closeness. This is how our old friend N.T. Wright puts it. This God, the God that Jesus introduces us to, is both intimately present within the world and utterly beyond other and different from it. He is present to celebrate with his people and to grieve with them, to give them his rich blessings and to rescue them from all ills, because he is also sovereign over heaven and earth, sea and dry land, all the powers of the world, and even over the urgings of the human heart. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation to know this God and to share his innermost life. Jesus wants us to share in the innermost life of God and to see God as our Father. And there's no other concept, if I'm being honest, no other concept or idea that I have run across that has revolutionized people's faith more. This idea that God is a Father and that He is fathering us. In a world where people are just, uh, where families are fractured and people are kind of lost and uh, the idea of father is not one that uh, we're always very familiar with. And even if we are familiar with it, we've all are or have had flawed fathers. This idea of coming to see God as a good father, one, one that truly loves us and wants what's best for us, one with whom uh, we can uh, speak our minds truthfully, and, and one that we can trust implicitly. This idea that God is our father, our good father, will revolutionize our hearts when we really come to understand it. I was teaching uh, about God as father at a youth group when I was like 19. I'm glad they don't have audio of that. Uh, probably because my voice was a little higher at 19. Uh, you're saying, what are you talking about? I was, I matured late. Um, uh, but the, I gave this little talk and afterwards a girl, a young girl in the youth group came up to me and with tears in her eyes said, Nick, I, I don't know how I can relate to what you said today, because I don't have a dad. I, don't, I never had a dad. And what I said to her was, that's, what God, that's why what I said was important, because that's what God wants to be for you. He wants to be your father. Regardless of how broken your home was, regardless of how good your dad was growing up, regardless of whatever situation you come, came out of, God wants to be your father. He wants to love you. He wants to discipline you, and he wants to do it uh, well, not poorly, right? He wants to be your father, and Jesus is introducing us to a God that he relates to in this way. He's inviting us in the Lord's Prayer to relate to God as our father. 
Jesus wants us to uh, be introduced to the God that he experiences as a good dad. And this is the God that as we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we allow that truth to sink down into our hearts, we're allowed to see for what it is and come to find ourselves as children of Father God. It's this beautiful process, and it doesn't happen overnight, but this is what God wants for all of us, to learn to have a healthy attachment to God, the Father. That's what God has for all of us. And as this morning we transition to uh, the communion table, uh, as we respond to God's call to us, as we, this call to share in God's life, it, we hear it resonate again in the communion table. Jesus instituted the practice of communion so that we would share in the life of God, that we would both remember and share in the life of God. In the same way that praying this kingdom prayer helps us to learn what it means to share in the life of God, receiving communion is a way of remembering and actually spiritually participating in the life that God shares in and of God's self, a life that is full of love and mutuality and goodness. The way that we remember this this mystery that is God, this mystery of uh, this beautiful union of love, the way we remember it and the way we participate in it and the way we are called uh, to carry ourselves as Christians is by observing this table together as a way of articulating that God at God's center is self-sacrificial love for us. You know, we are not far from Easter when, uh, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But before Easter, on Good Friday, we get together and, and we remember his sacrifice on Good Friday, the sacrifice of his death on the cross. And as we receive communion together, what we see is that the God of the universe, the one we call Father, the one we call Abba, is the one who gave his Son on our behalf that we might be free. And as we remember this, uh, this sacrifice, this death of Jesus together, we are able to look back, but we are also able to look forward, not just to the reality of the cross and what it means for us, but also to the reality of who God is, if the band could come up, the reality of what God has for each of us. You see, communion is, in a sense, a glimpse into God's heart, a glimpse into God's heart. Jesus wants to show us that it was to these lengths that he was willing to go on our behalf, that it was, it was his death on the cross that, that uh, compelled by love, that allowed us to be free, and that it was in, uh, and that it was in and through this sacrifice that the world was revolutionized and that God's love was truly communicated in clear and somewhat disturbing but clear ways. Paul sums this up in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, when he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup in the, in the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here at Grace Community, we practice an open communion, which means that if you uh, are here in the space uh, and you would like to, you can receive communion with us. You don't need to be a member of our church to receive. All that we ask is that you uh, endeavor to follow Jesus with your whole life. You know, uh, as Ashley said, uh, this is a month. Uh, at the beginning of every month, we're going to begin receiving communion. And this is an opportunity for, uh, for us to really start to see it as the gift that it is. You know, I think sometimes in, uh, once again, in traditions like ours, uh, we don't receive communion all that often. And the reason we do that is, is just because, I don't know, we just, it's been a habit in our churches to not receive it as often as I think we maybe should. But communion is a spiritual practice, another thing that we are called to do that, that forms our hearts, that helps us to remember the death of Jesus and helps us to look forward to his resurrection. So, we are one people. We meet at this common table to affirm again together that the death of Jesus is the center of our faith as we also look to his resurrection as our secure and lasting hope. So this morning, the table is open. You can come, uh, you can receive communion, and you can receive at the table or you can receive back at your seat. Both are appropriate. Uh, and after receive, uh, we'll sing one song together, and then uh, we'll close our service. So the table is open.